0: I'm gonna try my hand and love again Forget all about This once hurt man I'm gonna try my hand and love again and This time I make it, Cause my love won't end
1: episode 23 of the 70 Edge podcast. I'm Justin Moschetti. You can find me on Twitter at J1MOSQ. I'm here with my co-host Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at 4 verts We're here with a very special guest, Danny Kelly from The Ringer. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly. Say what's up with the people, Danny?
2: What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me
0: on. We're excited to have you uh, on. We're here to break down the NFL draft that happened this past week and A lot of exciting things and yeah, most exciting is uh, we don't have to talk about drafts for the next few months or so.
2: How big of a relief is that? Honestly, oh like that, it's so nice. Now we can actually talk about how team like people fit on teams and stuff like that, rather than just theoretical. I love it.
0: Yeah, I, I still. have already seen twenty eighteen mock drafts on my timeline. Even though I oh muted their mock draft from my timeline, they still pop up somehow. It's really
1: frustrating. I've seen. Yeah, people are people are scouting these quarterbacks already, and I am not gonna about. To, I'm not gonna argue about underclassmen on Twitter for an entire <laughs> season it's just it's, i'm just not gonna do it i'm just not gonna do it i'll watch the pass rushes in like august maybe and then that's yeah. it <laughs> all right Dan- yeah. danny since you talked about 2018 mock drafts uh off the top of your head we got to do this right now mock drafts for 2018 but of the worst nfl teams right now so number one is the jets
2: <laughs> yeah um i can't even answer i mean I guess sam darnold i mean that's and that's no, no, literally no, 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 no.
1: I I mean rank them like you you gotta you gotta pick the worst teams. Oh if if okay you I see. Pick, you have to pick the most losses.
2: Oh man okay um I think that I think the Jets are probably a good bet for the worst team in the NFL. Yeah. Um I think the Bears are probably not gonna get much better. I don't know if they'll be as bad as last year, but they're I don't know if they're gonna get a whole lot better. I think their defense will improve, so that's kind of the wild card. But I mean we'll talk about the Trubisky pick and i don't even know if he's going to play in year 1 anyway but um i think that they'll probably still be up there oh man i'm just looking around the rams
0: the rams are <laughs> going to be really bad
2: the rams are bad uh yeah. the browns clearly
0: in the 49ers i think that I, I like where they're headed but that defense is still a lot of pieces away and they don't have a quarterback yeah. yet so
2: well it's like a full on rebuild plus i mean like from the bottom up i mean they're they're everyone's different except for you know, Jed York, and then they're changing their defense or changing their offense that they're completely like just wiping the slate clean. So um, even though I do like the direction the 49ers are going in terms of like, you know, I like, I like Shanahan. I like, um, it seems like Lynch is, has done a good job so far. I don't, you know, it's still kind of obviously a big question mark there, but I like the scheme that they're going to run. And, and I mean, I've, their offense, I think is probably going to be a little bit better next year anyway. So I think they're going in the right direction, but they could definitely still be sort of in the top five next year again. All right, let's
0: I don't talk know. About... That's like who ahead. else
2: is that? who else is in there for teams that you know might just totally crap the bed.
0: I don't know. I just kind of want to talk about the Jets' draft a little bit because I, I think it's pretty obvious yeah. that that they're tanking this season and just completely punting twenty seventeen. But that draft <laughs> yeah. that draft doesn't really seem like the direction that you go in if you're punting two safeties right. and then a. A receiver who was who had most of his yards come after the catch in college, and our Darius Stewart. I I don't really get it. I mean, even with the Browns uh, last year, they still added, uh, you know, Corey Coleman, Emmanuel Ogba, Carl Nassib, some guys who can make plays uh, in the passing game on both sides of the ball. But with the yeah. Jets, they they added Jamal Adams, who's a box safety, and Marcus May, who played like that Keanu Neal role in at Florida, where playing in the box and over the top, but didn't have a, a true defined role there. So right. it, it it just this defense is still a complete mess. The offense has nothing going for it. <laughs> I but like, yeah. what do you what do you make of their draft? I thought they were going to trade down from the 6 and get some more picks to try to rebuild in 2018 too.
2: Yeah, so well first of all that was one thing. It was like every time they were up, you know, it seemed like they traded down. Um I don't know how many times they traded down. It was like six or seven times or something like that in the draft. So, clearly trying to kind of pick up picks, but um I mean, my first impression, and this was something that we were joking about. Kevin Clark tweeted this on, on Twitter. It was like, uh, the oops, I left it on auto-draft mode <laughs> draft because it was like, I actually didn't have any. I, I like the players they took. Like, I like Jamal Adams. I thought Marcus May had an outside shot of getting into the first round. Um, I didn't watch much Darius Stewart, but I kind of understand, like, you know, he is a really, really sort of ferocious receiver. And I, and same with May and Adams. Like, they're both, like, alpha guys, right? So, like, you know, there's kind of, like, maybe the, the culture change, like, part of everything in play here. But, I mean, when you're rebuilding and you're completely starting from the ground up, kind of, like, is is a mostly strong safety, like, where you want to start? And, I mean, and then they had basically, so they started with two safeties and then, like, took essentially three receivers, And it's like, I don't know, it's like maybe like look to the offensive line, pass rush, (laughs) linebacker, cornerback, like some of the so-called like premium positions. I mean, obviously receiver is a premium position, too, but I don't know. I just thought it was weird um, sort of how that all came off. Like and and again, I like the players that they took, but it was just sort of the order that they took them in that was puzzling to me, especially for a team that, you know, is is rebuilding.
1: That's the thing with me is I thought, you know, quarterback, pass rusher, uh, and cornerback, they probably had the biggest need there than yeah. any other team in the NFL, and they didn't address quarterback at all. They The first cornerback that they drafted was the 197th pick of the draft, okay? So that that's probably not going <laughs> yep. to stop for you. He's probably not any good. And then the only pass rusher that they added – on the defensive side of the ball, the only box player that they added on the defensive side of the ball was Dylan Donahue from West Georgia in the fifth round. I watched him before we went into the combo. I was like, no way. (laughs) West Georgia had two guys drafted, I think.
2: Yeah. And that is, and that was sort of the, I mean, that was the same, uh, sort of deal with the, the bears. It's like they drafted a bunch of small school guys. So then they took another small school running back too after that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. The Jets, yeah, like, it, you can definitely, I feel like you can argue that, like, they got good players. But I just think, like, the way that they went about it, it was really strange. And so, um, yeah, that was sort of the head-scratching draft. Uh, in, in, and honestly, I talked about it on Twitter. It's like, I really liked pretty much every pick in the first round. Like, mo- I mean, like, it, they all made sense, I guess. Yeah. Except for sort of the Trubisky thing, which we can, we'll can we probably get into. But, yeah. Um, I mean, like the the first round of the draft was like kind of hard to like hand out like any real bad grades other than Chicago.
0: Now, do you think that Todd Bowles has like a promise that he's not going to get fired or something? Because this this this, <laughs> right. is, this isn't this isn't a draft of of I, I don't know. Like this te- this draft is not as much as you may like the inv- individual players. This draft is not going to help this team win. I not right. any more games next season.
2: This is the opposite of a save your job draft. Which I guess that's probably a good thing if you're a Jets fan because he's not like desperate. It's not like desperation mode or whatever, and he's like taking the only quarterback he can find. Um, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, the Jets are it, the Jets have had probably the worst off of any team in the NFL, and the draft didn't help that. And so, um, I mean, back to kind of the question of who's going to be first like next year. It, it looks like the Jets are kind of just tanking for the first pick next year.
0: All right, enough of the Jets. What do you think of Trubisky trade? I, I thought that John Lynch just completely fleeced Ryan Pace right there.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, it seems – and not just like his opinion – not just like everyone like on the outside. It sounds like they were bidding against themselves, or at least if there was one other team, it wasn't super serious. And so, yeah, it, the, the first of all, just the idea of trading up one pick is always weird to me. <laughs> like – I just like what is that conversation like when when the team like because like apparently the forty ers didn't know who the jets wanted and they still did it but like I just think that's such a weird concept um, in the first place but um yeah so they gave up you know a good amount of mid range mid mid uh, mid level picks or whatever to to move up one spot and and grab a guy who I wasn't particularly sold on in the first place I mean obviously he's kind of got the tools and everything but you know thirteen thirteen total starts in his career and, and you know none of them really in the pro style system. Um, you know, it's gonna be kind of the it's gonna be a development, you know, with him and it's gonna take a while. And I guess obviously they're set up with that with Glennon, but um that whole ordeal, <laughs> that, that first couple really picks weird. of the draft was just freaking crazy. And it so um I really, you know, just like my gut right now, it's like I really hated that. But obviously like if Trubisky turns out then we're all gonna forget what um, you yeah, know what but, they gave up yeah, to move if, up one if spot. If he's
0: good, no one's going to care about those three, those third-round picks that they gave up. But did you see the Pro Football Talk article written today that no one was even trying to trade up that high to get Trubisky? Teams were trying to trade up to the Titans' pick at five to get Trubisky, but once the Bears pulled the trigger at two, obviously those conversations died off. So right. The Bears just kind of made a trade with themselves. I, hopefully, Trubisky's good. Any
1: thoughts, just Though. Yeah. So? yeah, man. So that thing is kind of. I follow a lot of Bears fans, unfortunately, because I'm a Packers fan, and like <laughs> somehow like met like NFC North Twitter is kind of a thing, um, and like a lot of them are getting defensive about the picks and things like that, and I, I think they're kind of missing the point where people are clowning them for taking Mitchell Trubisky at two because they took him at two. It wasn't necessarily the picks; like they would have been. Do you think? Right. you think there would have been Trubisky jokes if you went three? Like lock that lock that thing up. Like it would have probably- been shocking
2: even if he had gone on three at uh, three. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, I don't know, man, that's a very weird situation. And they talk about Ryan Pace and John Fox not being, you know, on the same level in terms of that. And he didn't know the trade until like an hour before. I wanted to ask you guys about uh, the John Lynch thing. So you got you guys read the the Peter King piece where he talked about he was in the room and all sorts of stuff. John Lynch sounds like his process is extremely flawed. Like it kind of worked out for him <laughs> on the side right now, but like they're just they asked the medical guy and the medical guy was like, "What shoulder?" About Ruben Foster's shoulder, oh. and then he's just calling up like Joe Williams is, uh, Joe Williams like the day the day before day th- or like the night before day three, asking about you know what what yeah. happened back then and stuff like that. Like and then uh, what was it? Kyle Shanahan says that that uh, C.J. Bethard was the only quarterback on his board. And I'm just like, yo, oh, really? this is going to go so wrong in so many ways so soon. Yeah, it was funny because I, I told people before the draft that
0: Kyle Shanahan, he was going to bully his way into getting the players that he wanted, especially on <laughs> offense. Like, if, if, yeah. if you follow Kyle, Shan, Kyle Shanahan's career from, I guess, Washington to now, you had to know that this was going to happen. And to read that piece, and Joe Williams wasn't even on the draft board, I, I think. And then the next day, Kyle Shanahan's yeah. like, cal shan's like if we don't get joe williams i'm gonna have nightmares about it all day long i was like dude you, you can't just kind of come in here and just be a dictator <laughs> when it's your first head coaching job but john it's john Litch's uh, first gm job too so I, I it's gonna be really funny to see how those two work it out uh throughout well the- i mean
2: it's like you hear stories and and matt millen talked about this after he got you know fired from the lions a long, long time ago like he, his biggest piece of advice when he when it's was finished was that he should have he needed to make his own mistakes, you know, and so like because he he ended up getting too much feedback and, and heeding his heeding like the advice of too many people around him rather than just going with the people that he thought they should take. And part of that was like last minute and, and I've written about this in the past, like stuff that happens in the war room. It's like chaotic and, and like it's so easy for people like you set up your board, you set up the process. You want it to be so like, you know, like if this happens this is exactly what we're going to do. We have this all planned out ahead of time. There's gonna be no surprises. Blah blah blah. And so like basically, what you want is like the draft is gonna be basically easy. Like you have your trade chart. If it works out great, if there's three guys there and you want to move back two spots, you're still gonna get one of them. Like you know what I mean? Like there's a scientific method of going about it so you don't make like big fuck ups on draft day and he was too like what millen said was like he he gave in to like his coaches and the people around him too much when 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 weird stuff happened and so um i i don't know like if that's what's happening in san francisco i think there's probably a few red flags like and and not like i'm complaining that they gave mmqb like tons of access because that's freaking awesome but like is that a little bit of a red flag that like they they, said they let,
1: had people in there, like like boosters, basically, for like the San Francisco 49ers that were sitting in in the draft room, too.
2: It's weird because they were so, like... Everything we heard about before the draft was like, nothing gets out of the building, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> you know, airtight. You know what I mean? And then, like, they had, like, the media in there. They had fans in there. Like, it was just kind of a weird dichotomy. But, I mean, I, I love it because it's, like, a great glimpse into the war room and everything like that. And so, like, I'm not complaining, but... It was a little bit weird, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Any what are what are some head scratching picks for you in the first round? For me, it, it's the Fournette pick at four. Yeah. I, I just well, that, I don't get it.
2: I mean, I can get, I I can sort of see their angle. Like, you know, if you're gonna try and get in their heads, like you can see, you can convince yourself, like, you know, we gotta have, we're gonna have this, uh, you know, bruising ground game. He's gonna take tons of pressure off the quarterback. He's gonna give us that edge. He's going to give us a identity and blah, blah, blah. I can see that stuff and and I can kind of get behind it a little bit, but then you get into the idea of like, this is a lot of value you're giving up for a a running back who, you know, spent last year, a lot of it hurt and may not even fit perfectly in your system. You know, he's kind of like, he's a downhill guy. um, And like we talked about a whole bunch before, before the draft, like he's, he's going to be better when you're under center and things like that. And so, you kind of have to change your offense a little bit to like suit him. And I don't know if you really want to do that with the fourth overall pick. And so I just think the the question of value is there clearly. And I mean, is he going to have an Ezekiel Elliott type effect on the offense? Like I highly doubt it. Like Zeke was like a really random, like it, it, Zeke is like, you know, he's not the normal thing that happens when you take a, a running back at four. So, um, I had that written down as one of my head scratchers. Like it's I can get behind like the culture and the identity and and like making him the face of your franchise kind of thing. Like I can get behind that, but still at four is high. That's really high. It just, when I mean especially look at the people that were still on the board, so I don't know. It's it, weird.
0: It, it's it's crazy to me that today the Jaguars or Dave Caldwell he came out and said, "Yeah, we're in win now mode." How can you say that after <laughs> <laughs> after the year that Bortles had and now you're Pretty much doubling down on him by giving him uh, Fournette, Cam Robinson, and DD Westbrook in the first three rounds. I, I don't get what they're doing. It, it just it doesn't really feel like they have a, a true plan of what they want to do because
1: if well, I was well, they I'm they just running Jacksonville. Up his today, right? They just picked up his fifth year option.
0: Yeah, they picked it up yesterday. So it, I, I guess they're doubling down on Blake Bortles, who has uh, the same amount of interception turns for touchdowns as career wins, <laughs> which is a really funny thing. Uh-huh. That's funny. Yeah, the Jags are just in a constant state of turmoil.
2: Yeah, I I don't. I mean, I thought, and I kind of thought that them taking a quarterback was going to be kind of the surprise thing that they do. Like everyone was saying they're going to take Fournette. Everyone was thinking that, and then they ended up doing it. I'm like, oh well, okay. I thought they were going to like surprise everyone, kind of like the Bears, and like do something crazy and take a quarterback at that spot. And I don't think anyone. I mean, I don't know, I can't get into the heads of Jags fans, but would any of them been disappointed if they took Watson at four?
1: No. No way. No, there's no way. <laughs> and th- that was the weird thing, too, is, like, after, the dra- after, after round one of the draft, like, you check Twitter, and it was like a bunch of, like, I guess you'd say big media guys that were like, man, that was the craziest draft ever. And I was like, outside of receivers going early, you know, three receivers
2: going in the top ten, this draft was kind of chalk, wasn't it? I thought it was weird. I thought it was pretty weird because I, I thought that it was going to be real defense heavy. And, and now kind of in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense. Like the receiver group was kind of shallow. So they went early and, and cornerback was really deep. So they ended up falling. Um, but I thought it like it was kind of crazy to me that there were a whole bunch of skill positions taken in the first in the top 10, like way more than anyone thought. And right. the offensive line fell further than ever. Which is not surprising, terribly, but I kind of thought, based on like the free agent market with tackles and stuff, that people are going to be so desperate they take them anyway. And so, in that in that sense, it was kind of weird. And I think the Trubisky thing colors the narrative of the, that was fucking crazy because it was just a weird like way to get it started. It kind of like set the mood. Um, but I mean, other than that, it wasn't like the most absurd or anything like that. I just there are a couple a couple things like the fact that. Uh, the tackles all fell was weird to me and and that corner's kind of fell so um i don't know i i always think that the like the way that drafts go um kind of can tell you a little bit about like the i guess the the state of the NFL and but i don't know if the first round really told us anything i just thought it was kind of random
0: yeah i think once you got past the texans trading up for watson at 12 it, it was i i think a lot of the the mock picks a, a lot of picks we saw mock before the draft were there, like Reddick to the uh, Reddick to the Cardinals, Barnett to the Eagles, and then uh, Garrett Bowles to the Broncos. It, it It wasn't really that crazy once we got past right. top twelve or so. Uh, now, you're a Seahawks fan, so let's kind of do a little roundtable here. what <laughs> what uh, team in your division do you hate that you love their draft? Uh,
2: well, I mean, obviously the forty ers I think got a couple of really good players in Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster. And then actually, I mean, their mid-round stuff was pretty good, too. Like, I thought with Witherspoon, Akello Witherspoon, I thought that was probably a pretty interesting pick for them. Joe Williams is an interesting pick. George Kittle, DJ Jones. I thought, like, they had a really solid draft. It's easier to do that when you have a ton of picks and you're picking at the beginning of every round. But um, I think they did a good job. And then, obviously, like, I wasn't that stoked about how well Arizona did. Um, I mean, they essentially got three top 50 picks in their first four picks and so and looks like all three of them could probably start pretty early like Hassan Reddick, play off the ball linebacker you know rush the pass on third down blitz and, and do all kinds of fun stuff in that defense Buda Baker's the kind of same thing he's kind of I mean everyone compared him to Tyron Matthew before the draft and so he's going into the same defense with them I think they could do a lot of really interesting things kind of you know using those guys interchangeably or, or having Buda play back and have matthew up in the slot a little bit you know kind of in you know where where matthew really likes to be is kind of in the slot so like Baker could allow him to do that more um and then dorian johnson in the fourth round i didn't hear about the liver thing until after the draft um but i mean he was kind of a fringe first rounder i think like some people had him you know if not the if not the first round like kind of early second mid second so like getting him in the fourth round seems like a really good value if he can you know stay healthy or whatever so uh yeah the it, the the cardinals i don't know they just always seem to do really well in the draft and so uh, this was kind of a frustrating one for me yeah i think it's yeah. cool to see because I
1: mean, like, like chad williams was one of our guys that we saw down at the senior bowl that actually was half decent and i yeah. went back and watch some of his stuff at grambling um because he passed like the ted thompson thresholds all that boring stuff and then will holden was one of the guys like he was one of my guys like I. I oh really Charles, did we ever have you watch Will Holden or no? Nope. Never mind. All right. So, uh, like, Sully uh, Sully Sparks is like one of the guys. One of the guys who is high on him too. Um, athletically, he's super athletic and he's like six foot seven. Um, those guys hit every single time, even if they take elbow grease. So, like, th- that's a guy who will be a starting tackle in the NFL. Period.
2: Yeah, and TJ Logan <laughs> had kind of exciting, you know, tape too. Like, I thought he was a kind of an exciting mid-round guy too. So. Yeah. I, think I don't know. Everything I, that they did made sense.
0: I think it's cool. You you kind of get uh, a, a glimpse of what teams see themselves as in the draft, and yeah. for a, I think a lot of us, we thought the Cardinals they're kind mm-hmm. of teetering on the edge of do we try to make another playoff run or do we hit the reset button and take a quarterback? Right. Race? So I guess they think they're closer than a lot of people thought. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how sure. this plays out. And sure. I love I love seeing the Buddha Baker pick. I think you can do, like, like you said, him and Tyron Matthew, if Matthew can stay healthy, that's, that gives you a lot of versatility on defense. And Reddick should be fun next to Buchanan,
2: too. Yeah. No, exactly. It's kind of, um, I mean, if you're putting together like kind of a dream draft for the, for the Cardinals for this year, I think those two guys probably be near the top of the list. And, and so to get them both, uh, obviously, it's kind of a coup for them. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not counting out the, the Cardinals. I think last year was kind of weird for them. Um, you know their offense never really clicked like it could have and it kind of started doing it at the end of the year so you, you think like maybe they'll kind of get back on track in the beginning of next year with Carson Palmer and kind of like their deep their deep passing offense or whatever that didn't really come together last year so you know Chad Williams running a 4-3 whatever you know is probably gonna fit pretty well in that and they're just gonna have so many guys that can get downfield. it's like it's it's a lot of fun I, and I totally agree with you in terms of like it tells you who they think they are. I, and, you know, people are saying, oh, they wanted to get Mahomes, and who knows if that's true. But, I mean, this is like a class that has three, maybe four, like day one contributors.
0: All right, Justice, any NFC North drafts that you liked?
2: Uh,
1: the Detroit Lions are trying to win the SEC East, right? <laughs> um. <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings were interesting, but uh, they're about to re-up on a Sam Bradford contract. I think I think the Vikings draft was actually good. Um, they ended up taking uh, Dalvin Cook, who was my running back one heading into the combine. Powell Flynn, who I thought was a borderline first-round pick, he was by far the best center in the class. Um, and then our our boy Julio Johnson, uh, Ben Giadon, that linebacker from from uh, Michigan, was a guy I actually ended up liking. Rodney Adams, the receiver from South Florida. If you watch him against Florida State, he takes, like, the first play uh, on offense to the house. Uh, Danny Isadora can't snap. Bucky Hodges was a guy that was in my top 50. They ended up taking him 201st overall. So, I guess I would say probably Minnesota. But uh, Sam Bradford's still the quarterback there, and he's about to get an extension. So, I'm not too worried about that one. Um, (laughs) Team Chicago. Uh, Chicago traded up to get Mitch Trubisky. And then they ended up drafting it with their second pick. They ended up drafting a division two linebacker or a division two tight end who runs like a four eight. So nope, that's not, <laughs> not 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 scared of that one. Is it? It's literally Minnesota, and then the Lions are doing the Lions things, and then the Bears. It's eight. It's uh five five twenty eight uh, Best Coast time right now. and The Bears still suck. So
0: okay, <laughs> glad you got that little spiel off. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, <laughs> I uh, I really like. I'm a Falcons fan, obviously tortured Falcons fan who hates life. Yeah, uh, hey,
2: I feel you, man. Believe yeah, me, I it, feel you. It's bad.
0: Oh yeah, you've been there before. Except it was. It's different being on being up that big, and I don't want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm about to cry. <laughs> okay. But the Panthers draft, I thought I liked that a lot. Unfortunately, uh, I, I, people said that when they took McCaffrey and Samuel, they were or they felt that those two picks were redundant. But my thing is if you don't have any of those guys on your roster already, I don't really find that to be redundant. And you have two guys who can play in the backfield. They can both play receiver and it's going to give that offense, uh, some firepower that they desperately, desperately needed. You're not just relying on Greg Olson and three of those trees from Lord of the Rings that move the really Ents. slow. And Yeah. The ends <laughs> <laughs> with Kelvin Benjamin, Charles Johnson and Devin Funches. Now you have some, some real speed, uh, some real playmaking ability and, <laughs> It was nice of the Panthers to join us in 2017 and realize how to play offense. And obviously, Taylor, anyone who listens to the pod knows that Taylor Moten is a, uh, one of Justice and I's guys. And I think Daishon Hall and Corey and Elder on, uh, in the third round and the fifth round are, are going to be nice value picks for them.
2: Yeah. I liked the Panthers draft as well. I think, I mean, I'm curious how they're going to like specifically use these two guys on the field at the same time. Um, does that mean they take. Benjamin off the field, or you know what? I don't know how that the, how it's going Benjamin works. might take himself off the field. I know, right? Like maybe that's option
0: today. So, and I saw about fifty thousand exercise jokes on my timeline throughout the day. The
2: first one was funny, and then okay, and then I saw like the next forty five. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um but like I, I don't know. I don't see them as redundant either. It's like I think they need. Well, they need to have options other than real slow possession guys, right? Right. And now they have that, um, you know, they have depth there. I don't think that they're going to play the same role. I see Curtis Samuel Moore as, like, he's more of, like, a gadget guy rather than, like, a real running back. Um, I think you can, like, run him out of the backfield, but you're not going to, like, start him as a running back. Um, McCaffrey's a guy who can run between the tackles and be a receiver, and so McCaffrey's kind of the key to dictating or at least you know reacting to defensive formations and so or like personnel so like if they you know how do you how do you line up against the Packers or sorry against the Panthers if they come out in you know a two running back set right like do you go base or do you go nickel how do you match up with that like if they go base then you just motion McCaffrey out and like he's got a a linebacker on him that seems like easy money and that's exactly what Cam Newton needs you know, get that percent- get that completion percentage up, give him some easy wins, um, you know, things like that to, like, kind of get their offense, like, it kind of just felt like it was boom or bust, you know? And so yeah. um, it gives them, hopefully, a little bit more consistency. Hopefully, you know, Cam Newton's per- uh, completion percentage will kind of start to climb, and they'll have a little more multiplicity in their offense. I think it's just, you know, it's just what they needed to do.
1: Yeah, it- See, my it- whole thing with that, though, is, like, if you motion Christian McCaffrey out, you have Mac like for sure. You have Matt Khalil one on one with any weak side pass rusher in the NFL. Like I don't need like you don't even have to lock <laughs> that. Like that that's an auto win, and they they're locked that they Matt Khalil contract for five years, five years.
2: <laughs> he is no fucking good at all. So, and that's that's an excellent <laughs> rebuttal. Yeah.
1: Like yo, what do you do with a you know how how heavy is Curtis Samuel? He's like got to be like 180 pounds. Like how do you how do you line up to that? And I'm like with a bunch of DBs, and then like you can send one pass rusher against Matt Khalil and drop the other ten players, and you'll get a sack on Cam Newton.
0: Yeah, well, what I what I what I'm interested in is I I was able to skim through our good pal Key Faye. He just dropped his quarterback catalog, and I was skimming through it last night. And uh, Cam Newton is in, I think arguably the most aggressive downfield passing offense in the league with guys, Well, and the only guy who can run for them last year was Ted Ginn, and he's gone, but obviously they got Samuel McCaffrey. So I'm going to be interested to see if they kind of scale that back a little bit and maybe work short and intermediate more often than they did last year because, like you said, you're going to have Matt Khalil uh, going up against guys like Vic Beasley, Noah Spence. Uh, Cam Jordan, Tack McKinley, like all those guys who have the athleticism to beat him uh, around the corner and just run right through him, like we saw. Like, if you go back and watch the Vikings game, Vikings versus Titans game last year on the first play, Jarrell Casey just walks uh, Matt Khalil <laughs> right back into Sean Hill. It was absolutely embarrassing. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be, I think they kind of need to scale it back a little bit. And now you have two guys who can uh, catch short passes and make explosive plays with the ball in the hand McCaffrey and Samuel. So it's going to be really fun to see how uh, Shula kind of evolves that offense and makes it work a little bit better than his pers- with his personnel that he did last season.
2: Right. Get All the right. ball out fast. You yeah. know, that's kind of the idea, right?
0: Yeah. So we talked about Trubisky a little bit earlier. Let's talk about some of these other quarterbacks and their landing spots. Uh, Tenth overall, the Chiefs, actually, they didn't give up that much to get Mahomes. I think they just gave up their 2018
2: first in a third-round pick this year. Yeah, that's an aggressive move. And it's kind of funny because, um, you know, a lot of people are talking about how, like, they essentially, like— went out and got the exact opposite of alex smith like what do you think alex smith is thinking about like this like hey fuck you guys (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh i see what you want um but yeah i mean it's like uh i think he's a fun fit for them you know it's an interesting thing it'll be it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can um sort of i guess develop under andy Reid because um you know he's got so many i think bad uh, habits that they have to kind of like work out, but he obviously has all the arm you could want. He's obviously really, really aggressive, which is the exact opposite of of Alex Smith. Like he wants to push the ball down the field at all costs. Um, he's going to give him kind of like that that Sandlot style of play where the when the play breaks down, or even when the play doesn't break down, he just likes to do it anyway. Um, you know things <laughs> like that. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a fun fit, and I think um, they have kind of like a cool uh, like. Skill skill group to kind of work with down the line, like with, you know, if Macklin's still around and and with Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and and you know their running backs group, I think that they have kind of a good um, you know like group to kind of like a soft landing spot for him at least. I I think, and so you know, I, I think that's a good fit for him.
1: Danny, what do you think about because the rumors came out? I think it was uh, Ian Rappaport who talked about the Seattle Seahawks. Would have thought about taking. Uh, would have thought about taking Pat Mahomes at twenty six if he would yeah. have slipped to them. What? What the hell did you make of that?
2: <laughs> I don't know, man. It's funny because <laughs> there's like people on Twitter were talking about how like, or not talking about necessarily, but like alluding to the idea that like Russell Wilson isn't long for Seattle, which I don't like. What? What do you? I don't know what to make of that. I haven't I heard anything that like all. that. Yeah, I don't buy what, it either. I weird thing that they-
1: they never gave him that big contract. Like he got a big, he got a quarterback contract, but he never got something that you would say made him a top ten quarterback. That was the only thing, and it. it was pretty short too, wasn't it? Yeah, that I, was I, the I, thing. It was like it was he wanted?
2: To, like, I think it was four years, he, and the Seahawks yeah. wanted longer, and he wanted shorter. So oh. maybe that's kind of like part of the deal. Like, and, and for for Wilson, it's just about maximizing his earning potential because, like, you know, quarterback pay is going up so crazy right now that. You know, having a shorter deal means, like, if you play well, you're going to get, like, an even bigger deal earlier. And maybe the Seahawks are just planning for the future, have, like, you know, a sort of a backup plan in place just in case, like, two or three down years down the line. But I haven't heard anything about them that would indicate, that, like, they want to move on from Russell Wilson. <laughs> um, but th- th- at the same time, the Seahawks do crazy shit. So I don't really know. You know, they they make these crazy first-round pick trades. They... Um, they want to trade Russell or, uh, Richard Sherman, apparently, which is crazy to me. And, the, and, you know, they have all these, uh, they always kind of do like off the wall things. And so I just never really know for sure, like what to think of that stuff.
0: Yeah. What do you guys think about, uh, the Texans trading up to get my child, Deshaun Watson? <laughs> <laughs> I like, well, it. let me I mean, start I, off perfect. as Deshaun's father. No, I'm joking. Uh, but I really did like the move because I mean, they kept saying that Tom Savage was going to be the starting quarterback, but I, I just didn't buy that. You can't you, you can't do that. You can't just go into a season saying, all right, we have a playoff. We have a Super Bowl caliber defense pretty much, and we have some weapons on offense. Let's stick with Tom Savage. I, I think you had to go make a move and uh, j- just get a guy who's won uh, play games. And I talked about this last week on the pod, but if you look at where Clemson's offense was, it kind of matches up well to what Houston has on offense. You have like your jump ball guy, right. Mike Williams, DeAndre Hopkins. You got your uh, your speed guy, Will Fuller, and Artevis guy, even though Will Fuller brings a little bit of bigger uh, deep ball potential than Artevis Scott did. And then you have uh, Jordan Leggett matched up well with, I guess, what Steven Anderson and Fedorovich bring at the tight end spot. And you already have a, a nice running back. Their offensive line style. They should be getting Nick Martin some more reps at guard this year. So I think when you look at that offense, all they really needed was – Somebody who could come in and just provide some stability. And I think from the start, Watson should be able to do that. And I'm not buying the fact that they say they're going to go into the season with Tom Savage starting again, even after they pick Watson. I think when you give up that many picks for a guy and you already gave up your 2018 second rounder to clear room to get this guy uh, in the Brock Osweiler trade, I think you, you kind of got to start him day one
2: yeah i agree and i think like aggressiveness is what they they need to stick with that aggressiveness i think like don't get shy don't get shy now like you've already done all this crazy shit in the past with like the rock osweiler stuff like you know keep at it um i agree i think it's kind of interesting how their their offense lines up in terms of like the targets like you know the the hopkins williams kind of parallel and the speed thread down the field parallel um and to me, I don't, you know, I'm not, like, a quarterback whisperer or anything like that. But, like, last year, it seemed like, and Justice, maybe you know more about this, too. But, like, it seemed like they just ran, like, the most simple offense possible with with Osweiler. I mean, he was, like, passing to his tight ends at That's a higher I rate.
1: Say they, ran, they ran their offense to their tight ends.
2: Yeah. So, it was, like... I mean, I maybe start there, and I think a rookie can probably handle that, honestly, because like what they were doing was really, really short passing to your tight ends, and it was like safe stuff. I think he he has a, a really soft landing spot with that, um, you know, with the weapons that he has there, and, and you know, Bill O'Brien should do a good job in terms of building something that he's sort of used to. You know, he's not going to make him like re, you know, he's not going to try and reinvent the wheel. Probably try and you know change their offense a little bit to suit. Sue Watson's skill set, but I mean, their offense just seemed so dumbed down to me last year that, um, you know, putting putting Watson in there, I think there could be it it could just like sort of lessen the learning curve, is what I'm getting at. it just doesn't seem like he has he has like a huge high bar to get over to kind of get to that Osweiler level.
0: Yeah, I think I think all three of us could go out there and play the way Brock Osweiler did last year. (laughs) (laughs) I think he he I think this past season he had. It's like three or four games where he had more than forty passing attempts and under two hundred yards passing. Which is <laughs> I
2: know just, that was he set the record like twice. <laughs> it's so bad, just
0: laughably bad. And so if, yeah. look, if you can, if they can come in and get some average quarterback play from Deshaun Watson, I, I think you got to consider that a win. Just b- based on where they've been the past like five years with their quarterback play,
2: right? Like, I mean, games. they've cycled through so many bad guys, and, and I mean, it, it the, obviously there's kind of like the whole like. You know, it's like a cliche and everything, but like having a guy like him kind of like a leader, like been there, like he plays well, like in clutch situations, like instills confidence in his teammates. Like, I think that's important. I think that like, I mean, if if you get into this, like if you're a player on the Texans and you go into the huddle with Brock Osweiler, like you can just tell he's like scared, right? Like he's, yeah. he's not going to pass it deep. He's not going to do it. He's not, he's just going to do try as hard as he can not to turn over. And he wasn't doing that at all. You know, he he had like more turnover. I f- I forget how many turnovers he had, but it was like a huge problem. And
1: I remember that uh, so- someone ran the numbers and they said that like his best game was the game in Mexico City when he was having lasers pointed into his eyes. Like that was just, like, <laughs> like, like, something like that. I'm just happy. I'm happy the Texans got Deshaun Watson because I I just think it's really important for te- the state of Texas to have at least one starting quarterback with a playoff win. <laughs> oh man. Jeez.
0: okay justice let's talk about kaiser to the browns i mean it's a it's a great pick it's a great fit for him
1: it's a it's a huge action move because there's no way that front office there's no way you can run numbers and make it look good for deshaun kaiser as the master of spin i have tried several times and i couldn't figure (laughs) out any way to do it um (laughs) The one thing that you can say, though, is if you look at his numbers, his last year and compared to, like, James Winston's last year, really not that different. Uh, people kind of ran away with the, the Brian Kelly narrative that he should come back to school and that he wasn't, you know, Brian Kelly's guy, even though Brian Kelly's quarterback transferred out of Notre Dame after Sean Kaiser declared for the draft. So I can tell you what people think of, of uh, Brian Kelly inside the locker room. People talked about how Notre Dame was loaded with all of this talent when Eastern Washington and, like, West Georgia – had a had um two draft picks before another number <laughs> player came off the board after Kaiser so there's that uh offensive like that offensive line's really set up i think you know skill positions isn't a weakness for cleveland at all even though they let uh Terrell Pryor leave you know I, I you were talking about soft landing spots outside of right tackle which is being a catastrophe i think this is a pretty soft landing spot for the browns i it's, it's mm-hmm. like he's starting right like he's going to he's going to win the game in the, he's going to win that job in the preseason
0: He's got oh, it. man.
1: There's, there's no way he does it.
0: Well, unless I, I mean, he just goes I with familiarity and runs with Kessler.
1: I guess, but you got, you have to remember this. Deshaun Kaiser is going to get more first-team reps this offseason than he has every single offseason he's had at Notre Dame combined.
2: I, so here's the thing. Like, at the combine, Hugh Jackson, he was, like, stressing it hard. And I kind of, like took this to mean like he was setting up the media in in terms of he was he was trying to communicate through the media to the fans that they're not going to panic at the quarterback position and and to me that meant they're not taking a first round pick uh they're not using a first round pick on a quarterback and that's kind of exactly what happened now who knows if it was just because the the bears went up and got trubisky at two and they were like okay well now what but um I think, Hugh, I think Hugh really believes in building a really, really solid supporting cast before throwing a quarterback out there and getting him ruined, you know? Um, I mean, if you look at his offense with the Bengals when Andy Dalton had, like, you know, he was having, like—I'm not going to say he was going to win it, but people were talking about him in, in the MVP conversation. Yeah. Um, and it was because he had probably the best pass-protecting offensive line in the NFL— he had A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu on the outside. He had Tyler Eifert on the inside. He had a couple of you know quality running backs. Like he had like this like the most stacked. I don't know if it was the most stacked. But it was one of the most stacked offenses in the NFL in terms of like skill position players and offensive line. And that was like what got him the job in Cleveland essentially. And so, I really I mean I who knows what will happen, but like I kind of believe him. Like I think he might not put. Uh, kaiser in in year one and just like keep building that you know they have so many first round picks next year too or or not first round picks but i think they have two but they have so many picks again next year um to like keep building that that solid core to like just basically once a once a quarterback gets in there it's just going to be you know relatively easy for him to kind of just transition in instead of trying to carry the offense like you know like he might have to do a little bit this year just based on you know their offense what what it is right now
0: yeah, and I, I think that offense, as it is, I mean, we saw Kessler coming. He was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he was good, but he was better than what a lot of people thought he was going to be as a rookie. And yeah, just the the way it's set up, that offense is pretty much quarterback proof. You, you, outside of right tackle, I, I think you can make a case for uh, Joel. You got Joel Batonio – Kevin Sladeley locked up uh, for at least four or five years apiece. You have Joe Thomas and J.C. Shredder. I, I think that's that might that's one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. Yeah. Just those four guys, and yeah. I, I really like the two backs: uh, Duke Johnson, Isaiah Crowell, and they actually the Browns they were fifth in the league in yards per carry last year. But I, I think they were trying to take games, so Hugh Jackson was like, "All right, RG three, just go out there and get killed and throw the ball." <laughs> but uh, I, like, if you put Kaiser in there, Week One. There, that offense should be at least be functional, you know, and you got N- Njoku and uh, Kenny Britt and Corey Coleman. So I-, I like the pieces that are around there. It- it's a good, yeah. It's a good situation for a rookie quarterback to to step in, and I think Hugh and the Browns have done a good job of, I, I guess, building a nice uh, base before throwing a high pick into into the waters, like uh, right, like we've seen teams do in the past. All are right, gonna.
2: Oh, I'm gonna. Saying. I'm gonna predict. I'm gonna predict that Kaiser doesn't start early on, but who knows? I could be totally off on that. Okay. Uh, I just think. I just think they're gonna wait. I think. I think. Hey, he's a second round pick. They don't have to throw him in right away. I think they're gonna wait.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I, I think if you like, if you have to start Cody Kessler week one, it's not the end of the world. Because it's That's not like people yeah, exactly. it's not like we're gonna we're expecting them to be ultra competitive anyway.
1: It does It doesn't seem like they had the pressure put on them from the ownership at all to take a quarterback. So, like, if, if that wasn't there, you're probably not getting fired this year anyway. So, Wes, what it?
2: Yeah.
0: All right, let's get into uh, a couple of these questions before Wait, we... Wait, we're
1: going we're gonna to skip the other top 100 quarterback? Who? Spider-Man, landing in New York?
0: Yes, we're going to skip him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fake name. He's, he's, he might as well be fake. Uh, all right, let's dig into some of these questions. First one from Scott Karasik at Karasik s why are people such assholes about tax passion about fulfilling the promise to his grandma? So if you were unfamiliar, the Falcons traded up on Thursday to pick UCLA pass rusher, Tack McKinley. And he was uh, raised by his grandma in Oakland. And uh, she passed a few years ago, or maybe just recently passed. And he had promised to her that he was going to go to college, get his degree and then make it to the NFL. And so when he got drafted, he had, a picture, a big-ass picture of his grandma that he brought to stage, and he was really excited, and he cussed <laughs> and uh, screamed to the microphone. <laughs> but a lot of people were, uh, you know, pulling up the, the old, oh, what about the kids? Like, that's so classless. I'm like, dude. Oh, brother. Get out of here. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> Why are you kids watching the NFL draft? <laughs> no, it's no good. I don't get but I, I don't, it. I, I haven't really seen anyone on, on Tax Ass other than... Uh, who was it? Breer? Did Bre- was it Breer again? I feel like we could play a game. Was oh. it Breer? Was he the stupid person who said thing?
2: Who was it? It was uh, Clay Travis.
1: Yeah, Clay Travis.
2: Oh yeah, it was Clay Travis. It was and then Clay- Tacky even like tweeted about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Clay Travis and his goons got in the, got in the tax <laughs> mentions, uh, but I, I think it's just you kind of see a, a little a culture difference there because a, a kid that grew up in in Oakland and his parents he was he his. Dad, He never met his dad and uh, his mom abandoned him when he was five. So like, he, when you grow up like that and you finally get to a place where you don't have to, I guess, worry about a financial situation or anything and you've made that mm-hmm. big promise to uh, your grandmother who raised you and was your, your whole world pretty much you might be a little bit excited, you know? <laughs> you, maybe You might drop an F-bomb on live TV. But, I, I, I mean, to to come out and, like, people are saying, there was some Atlanta uh, sports account tweeting the other day, like, are you worried about, does this make you worried about Tack being a problem off the field? I'm like, dude. He, he's I don't
2: just, know. Because
1: he cussed? Because
2: he cussed on no.
0: TV.
1: <laughs>
2: if anything, Duff, if Duff, anything Duff. that interview made me feel better about him as a player. Like, he's going to bring it. <laughs> yeah,
0: he's going to bring it. And I, I know just – I bet Dan Quinn decided that they were going to get him after spending, like, five seconds with him at the combine.
1: Yeah, totally. That's
0: that's the Dan Quinn prototype personality right there.
2: <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I mean, I'm. it's funny because I think – I don't know what it says about you if you were offended by that, but, like, I'm the kind of person who would probably accidentally drop an F-bomb on TV, so, like, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I just – you, I, it's like that to me that's like why you watch the draft like why else are you watching the draft I didn't I didn't actually watch the draft I was just following it on Twitter mostly but like for people that want to watch the draft like aren't you watching it so you can see how excited these people are to like get dra- like to to realize their dream yeah you know and like finally after all the work and after all the trials and tribulations and things that they've gone through in their life like, isn't that the reason for watching this? Like, how could you possibly be, like, mad about that? I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, dumb. Haters. All right, next question from <laughs> uh, Ricardo Ganici at E Lillard 12. What do you think about Malik McDowell?
2: Oh, I like him, actually. Um, you know, obviously there's kind of, like, the the worry that, I guess, you know, he interviewed – poorly and um there's like the concern that he's not gonna work hard on all the plays and all that and stuff and, and so like i guess that's you know that's stuff that i'm just not really privy to but like and when i watched when i watched him like i was very impressed and i think like he plays inside and out um there was a couple of plays against indiana where he's like Literally, like I have it in my mind. Like, there's a play where he's holding one offensive line with his left hand and one offensive line with his right hand and like pushing them both back into the pocket against the run. And I'm like, okay, this guy, like, he's got, you know, some special ability in terms of his size and everything. Um, and if, you know, if there's a guy that can kind of harness that, you hope that it's Pete Carroll. You know, he's always kind of been like this master motivator, master manipulator, like, He's always tried to create a competitive cauldron with his teams where like he's pitting guys against each other and like he does all this stuff like. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that's going to be kind of the thing. He's 20 years old. He's still really, really young. Um, you know, there's so there's room there to like kind of mature and everything. So overall, I, I like to pick. I mean, um, I'm not like an expert at like uh, defensive line like technique. And, and from what I hear, like he, his technique is all over the place. Um so that might be kind of like a concern but you know physically speaking like he's a big long guy and like like his athletic comps are all really good like um I think it was like Gerald McCoy and Leonard Williams were like his two closest two of his closest like modern comps and so um yeah I mean I think there's tons of upside there and I'm excited about it so you know with the obvious caveats that He's going to have to be all there, you know, mentally to to succeed in the NFL. But I think, you know, Pete Carroll's kind of been the guy that can bring that out of people.
1: So, do you have any issue with like if there is some sort of locker room riff with like Richard Sherman throwing in a guy like Malik McDowell into that mix, where you know effort issues and things like that? Like, that, I guess that would be. The only issue, because, I mean, right. Pete Carroll, Carroll for sure is, you know, labeled as a player's coach, if nothing else. But I was, I was just wondering if, I guess you could call it a conspiracy theory, wink, wink, right. um, that, you know, <laughs> like that that issue of throwing that guy into that locker room, you know, when they have reportedly yeah. those issues.
2: I think I would be, the thing to me, the barometer that you need to like worry about with that is not Sherman. It's how does he get along with Michael Bennett? Um, because... I think Michael Bennett is sort of the emotional leader on, on the defensive line. And I'm guessing, and this is just a guess, I haven't been in that locker room, but I'm guessing if Sherman said anything to one of the defensive linemen, like Mike Bennett would tell him to shut up or whatever. You know, like, um, I think they kind of, you know, th- there's a lot of alphas in that locker room, and which has probably been a big part of the reason it's so, like, chaotic all the time. Like, I always say it's like the Seahawks are a circus because there's just so many huge, big personalities and guys that are, like, you know just the alpha dog in every other given situation and you have a whole bunch of guys in the in the same room doing that um it's just bound to create kind of things like weird things like that but I think if Bennett kind of takes him under his wing and and like you know the you know Cliff Averill's a very quiet like respected leader there too I think and so um you know as long as he doesn't get like on the wrong side of Bennett I think he'll be okay is, is basically what I'm saying like I think um, if, if he does, like if he and Bennett fight or, or, you know, go at it or whatever, then we c- I could be, I, I, I could start worrying a little bit more, but I mean, this is a team that, I mean, literally there's like fights at, at, you know, training camp like every year, like, you know, offensive guys going at defensive guys, defensive guys jawing at each other. Like, and that's exactly what Pete Carroll actually wants. I think like he pushes you to the limit. And uh, He doesn't want it to go too far, clearly, but he wants guys, like, fired up, like, pissed off for greatness. Uh, I, th- I forget who said that. Was it Ray Lewis? But um, he wants guys pissed off for greatness, like, all the time. And so I think he kind of pushes that. Like, I think he actually wants sort of that edge. And so, um, you know, I'm not too worried about it right now, but I think if, if you know, it, if I did see that he was, like, really not getting along with Michael Bennett, that's when I'd start worrying.
0: All right, last question before we let you go, uh, from Vic at Vic Teller. Predictions for offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Who wants to go first?
2: Oh man, I, I don't like me go first. Someone else do it, right away. I'll think about that. Right. Uh, not not Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs>
1: okay. um, probably Leonard Fournette, right? Just because he's going to get the touches. Like I don't think that team wants to run itself through Blake Bortles at all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would say either Fournette. Or McCaffrey seems like the favorites right now. Or if Watson's the starter, Watson.
0: Yeah, because I, I think the I, yeah I, I think those will be my top three on offense. And if a, if Watson can lead the Texans to the playoffs, I think we, we, we'll see that narrative come again yeah. where the that that player gets the, the rookie of the year award. My my pick is going to be uh, Deshaun Watson, just because I still think that they can they can win that division.
2: Yeah, I think if I had to pick one, I would go with Watson too.
0: Uh, defense.
2: Hmm. Miles.
0: Miles Garrett.
1: Yeah, I think he's gonna get more sacks than anyone else just based on their situations right now. Unless because Solomon Thomas's fit there is kind of weird too. And then the other pass rush is like Derek Barnett's not <clears throat> Derek Barnett's not gonna make an impact on that defensive line immediately. John Allen's gonna play inside um, you know, some, some, like Hassan Riddick is not even going to be an outside linebacker. He's playing on the inside. Charles Harris is kind of I like, they just gave all sorts of money to guys in Miami. So I think he's probably going to end up getting buried early mm-hmm. on is, is tack going to start. So like it's, it's usually ends up being pass rushers or linebackers, but there's really only one linebacker at the top of this class, unless you think where foster takes it.
0: Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know if the Falcons are going to start tack, but I, I think a dark horse here is, uh, I think it could be Jamal Adams just because when you look at the Jets' defense, they can't rush the passer. Their linebacker play was dreadful last year. I mean, Darren Lee was a disaster. Especially yeah, what happened there? Uh, he was He was really bad last year. But uh, So it, it's it's kind of like the same situation as the Falcons' defense. Some, someone's got to get these tackles, and they're going to end up – I think a lot of tackles are just going to end up in his lap, and he'll probably have a couple of interceptions. So I think when we get to the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if – jamal adams had like a gaudy stat line on just terrible jets defense
2: i would i would say the dark horse is going to be hooker not adams i think that um i feel like Hooker's going to be a starter from day one for the colts and he's playing in the same division as blake Bortles, so he's going to get at least three interceptions <laughs> no i don't know but like i, I just think Well, that's tough because it seems like maybe then the free safeties don't actually get as much recognition as they need. So that might be dumb, but if he could get some turnovers, that'd help his case. I'm just looking at Adams and I don't know if he makes enough, like, um, what do you call it? Like highlight plays. I think he's definitely very effective player and like a good player and like does his job and is important to the defense, but like when you turn on his L S U tape, like he's not making a ton of like highlight plays. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, um, I
0: just think it I just think that someone's gotta make some tackles and like I, I don't know yeah. who else it would be on that defense, I see so that. I'm just gonna go with uh Jamal Adams.
1: I'm I'm looking at these numbers right now. There's been one cornerback in the past two decades to win uh defensive rookie of the year. <laughs> On the defensive, just defensive rookie of the year, and the last time a safety won defensive rookie of the year, Jamal Adams was negative five years old. <laughs> who was yeah. the uh, who was the cornerback? the The last cornerback was Marcus Peters, and then before oh, that it was right. Charles Woodson. Duh. Duh.
2: Charles Woodson, yeah, it's a great name. I'm not gonna Charles. get that probably. I, it'll probably be the. It's like I think it'll just be Garrett most likely. I think I'm with you though. Thomas will probably be playing inside a lot, um, which it's means just weird spots where won't be else high.
1: He's in a very projectable, easy transition spot. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, anything you're working on before we let you out of here that you want to plug and let the people know about?
2: Um, What am I working on? I, I published a – I don't even remember right now. I'm like – I'm not working on anything right now because I got all my <laughs> draft stuff done over the last, like, 10 days, but um, – you can check out check out my profile on the theringer.com, and you can check out some of my pre-draft stuff too. That's still worth reading because it's talking talking about evaluation and things like that. I had a lot of fun writing those things. Um, you know, just talking about watching tape and and how you evaluate players, and I think a lot of that can still come in handy for even after the draft, kind of looking at your own team's players and things like that. So that's what I would plug.
0: Yeah, and uh, you got blessed to talk to the two best tape evaluators on the entire Twitter.com uh, sphere today. It's setting the edge <laughs>
2: <Exactly>. <laughs> and i have them start transcribing this immediately
0: there we go uh so next week we will i think we're gonna i was talking to erica uh emisola who works for ea sports and uh the madden cover athlete is being announced next week i think she told me so we're just gonna talk to her and talk about video games and about to be a mom and whatever because soft season ain't got shit else to talk about so that's going (laughs) to conclude episode 23 of setting the edge we'll be back next week have a good day guys